We continue our sermon series in the book of Galatians. If you don't have a Bible, the scripture is printed on your sermon guide in your order of worship. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 18. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. We pray, Father, our hearts are so desperately needing to hear from you this morning. Would you take your word and would you drill it down deep into our hearts? and bring transformation that only your Holy Spirit can bring for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I love the end, ending scene of the movie Toy Story 3. It's a great scene. It's a great scene where Andy is preparing to leave for college, and he's got this box of toys in his room that he grew up with. And he wants to give them away to somebody who will play with his toys and play well with them. So he, in this scene, walks up into the front yard of this house and there's a little girl, Bonnie, who lives there. And he walks up to her with the box of toys and he says, I hear you're good with toys. I'm going to college now, but I need to find someone special to take care of my toys. And then he begins to take his toys out one by one and, and give them to this girl. And as he does it, he says something special about each toy. You know, he, he pronounces a blessing, so to speak, over each toy. So he starts with cowgirl Jesse. He says, this is Jesse, the roughest, toughest cowgirl in the whole West. She loves critters, but not more than her best eye bullseye, her best pal bullseye. And then he pulls out the T-Rex. And he says, the meanest, most terrifying dinosaur who ever lived. Then he pulls out the potato heads, Mr. and Mrs. And he says, you got to keep them together because they're madly in love. Right? Then he pulls out that, you know, that little slinky dog. Right? He pulls out the slinky dog and says, this dog is as loyal as any dog you could want. And then he brings out Buzz Lightyear. He says about Buzz, the coolest toy ever. Look, he can fly, he can shoot lasers, 
And then it all crescendos to this final moment. He brings out Woody. And this is what he says as he hands this toy over to Bonnie. He says, he's been my pal as long as I can remember. He's brave, like a cowboy should be, and kind and smart. But the thing that makes Woody special is he'll never give up on you, ever. He'll be there for you no matter what. Now, I have to admit, the first time I saw that scene in that movie, I shed a tear. And I felt terrible. I'm like, this is a Toy Story movie. Why am I shedding a tear? That's a plastic toy he's announcing a blessing over. Why? The reason is, is because the human heart has a deep need for affirmation and blessing. We spend a lifetime seeking that blessing. We spend a lifetime seeking that affirmation and we never quite find it because we look for it in the wrong places. We look for it in people. We look for it in a, in a father or a mother or a sibling or a friend or a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And at the end of the day, we never quite get it. We never quite get that affirmation, the blessing that our heart is craving. So the question on the table is, what is the one blessing that you must have? What is the one blessing that you must have? And to answer that question, we're gonna answer three questions. What is the blessing? How do we receive it? And why is this blessing secure? So let's start with what is the blessing? The meaning, the purpose, the so that of this passage is verse 14. So that. This is the crescendo. This is what it's all pouring to, drawing to, pointing to. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Now, what's the blessing of Abraham? Well, if you back up to verses 8 and 9 of chapter 3, it says, In the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify, we've talked a lot about that word, declare righteous, count righteous, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham was blessed. What was the blessing? It was justification. That Abraham was made right with God. God announces his promises to Abraham, and in Genesis 15, 6, it says, Abraham believed, trusted the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. He was justified. He was made right with God. That's the blessing that Abraham received. That's what Paul is talking about here in verse 14. 
being made right with God. Now, why is this blessing so important? Why do you need it? The second half of verse 14 speaks to the second part of the blessing. Last half of verse 14, so that, again, purpose, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So verses eight and nine describe the blessing as justification. Verse 14 at the end describes the the blessing as the promised Holy Spirit. You say, which is it? They're, They're two sides of the same coin. They're two sides of the same coin. The Holy Spirit is given to us to give us assurance that we are right with God. Romans chapter eight, verses 15 to 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Two sides of the same coin. The blessing of justification that says you're right with God and then the indwelling Holy Spirit that is bearing witness with your spirit. That means that the spirit is reminding you constantly you are right with God. That you've received that blessing of justification. Justification is a new legal standing. Adoption is a new loving family. If justification is the legal paperwork that says your sins are forgiven, you're counted as righteous, and you're right with God, then adoption is the assurance of the Holy Spirit that comes alongside you over and over when you sin, when you're in sin, when you're facing brokenness to say you're right with God. You're right with God, and you're a beloved, cherished child of God. But that's the affirmation that your heart needs. That's the blessing that your heart needs in a broken world, in your sin. You need to hear that announcement that you're right with God. In fact, we could talk a long time about all the behaviors that come out of us that are evidence of us not being right with God, not being assured of being right with our creator. It creates turmoil, it creates chaos. We may not be aware of it. But we need that affirmation. You think about a man when he proposes to a woman. What typically happens? Well, he typically goes to the father of the woman he wants to marry to seek his blessing. He seeks the father's blessing. Affirmation. You and I need the blessing of God the Father. Ben Kingsley, he's the Academy Award-winning actor. He starred in in Iron Man 3, uh, Hugo, Schindler's List, Gandhi. He still hasn't forgotten. In fact, he, he struggled growing up and through his adulthood and through his acting career of never getting his parents' affirmation. And he tells a story of growing up, how he went to Manchester Grammar School with the plan that he would go to medical school, just like his father and brother. But the whole time, all he wanted to do was be an actor. And he says this in an interview about his parents. He said, I remember my father referring to me as our little Danny Kay when I was about seven. That was the only remotely positive comment I remember from them. They never praised me 
or acknowledged a gram of talent in me. Their way was to mock. When are you going to finish with this acting lark sort of thing? My mother, far from being proud, was very jealous of my success. And then in the early 2000s, Kingsley was actually knighted, a blessing of sort, knighted by the Queen of England. And he says it's an event he will never forget in his life. And then here's what he said in the interview. I told you about my parents and the fact that any kind of embrace was totally absent from my life. So to be embraced by Her Majesty, the Queen of England, I felt like stopping people on the street saying, my mom loves me, you know, because that's what it felt like to me, the filling of a vacuum in the universe. There is a deep vacuum in every one of us, a deep vacuum that needs filling. And we seek that that vacuum to be filled over a lifetime in all kinds of ways that don't work. As I said, we seek it in people. We seek it in dating relationships. We seek it over and over, maybe in failed marriages, or, or we seek it. We just want our Father's blessing. I just want my mom to one time say I'm proud of you. Right? We, we want that. We desire that. It's a deep need. We need to hear the declaration. Or you need to hear the declaration that you're right with God and the assurance of the Spirit to say you're a deeply loved child of God. Now that's the blessing that you need. The question is, how do you receive it? How do you receive that blessing? Paul begins explaining how it's not received in verse 10. Look at verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. This is a quote of Deuteronomy 27, 26. And it caps off an exhaustive list of God's commands in his law. Let me give you a sampling of it. Cursed, key word here, cursed being the opposite of blessing. Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image. Deuteronomy 27, 15. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or mother. Deuteronomy 27, 16. Cursed be anyone who perverts justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. That's verse 19. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Deuteronomy 27, 26. If you try to get right with God, if you try to obtain God's favor, if you try to get God to approve you by works of the law, by keeping the law, you're under a curse, not blessing. Why? Because you can't keep God's law perfectly. In James 2.10, says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Because you can't keep the law perfectly, then to rely on the law to be justified, to be right with God, automatically puts you under the curse. 
Now, what's the curse? Look at verse 13. End of verse 13. Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 21. If someone committed a crime that was punishable by death, they were hung on a tree. And then the law had it that they would have to be taken down before sundown and buried. So they weren't to hang on the tree overnight. They'd take them down at sundown and they would bury them. And the Israelites, the Jews, took this seriously. So we have examples in Joshua chapter 10. After Joshua defeats five Canaanite kings, he takes those five kings and he hangs them on five trees. And at the end of the day, at sundown, those bodies are taken down and buried. Same thing, 2 Samuel 21, when the seven sons of Saul are hung on seven trees, bodies taken down at sundown and buried. Hung on a tree was the, was, was the ultimate curse. Being hung on a tree was awful. And now you can see why when the gospel was being preached, it was so, by the apostles, it was so incredibly offensive to the Jews because at the center of the gospel message is a man hanging on a tree. In fact, the apostles go out of their way to using the language of tree when describing the cross. We see it in Acts chapter five, verse 30. Whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. 1 Peter 2, 24 he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Acts 13, 29, Jesus was taken down from the tree. Why did the apostles refer to the cross as a tree? Because in line with Deuteronomy 21, they wanted everyone to hear loud and clear that Jesus Christ was cursed by God. And why did the Jewish leaders scramble to get his body off the cross, off the tree, at sundown? Because in line with Deuteronomy, they wanted to make sure that this accursed man was buried in line with the law of God. They knew this man was cursed. Now here's, here's the question it raises. How could the only man who ever kept every last part of the book of the law to absolute perfection be a curse or be cursed by God? The answer is verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He was cursed and crucified in your place. He became the curse. Now, how do you receive the blessing? We've talked about how not to receive it, that relying on the law, relying on your ability to keep it actually doesn't bring blessing. That's how, how we often think. Well, I'm, I'm working really hard. I'm keeping the law. I'm doing the best I can. Isn't there blessing in that? And Paul's saying, no, there's curse. So how do you receive the blessing? Verses 11 and 12. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. You receive the blessing of God, the justification, the indwelling Holy Spirit, 
the announcement that you're right with God. You receive that by faith, not by works. And any effort on your part to rely on the law and to keep it as a means of getting right with God puts you under the curse, and it's actually incredibly offensive to God. Listen to how Martin Luther says it. If you wish to placate me, do not offer me your works and merits, but believe in Jesus Christ, my only son, who was born, who suffered, who was crucified, and who died for your sins. Then I will accept you and pronounce you righteous. The curse that we deserve was placed on Christ. The blessing he deserved was given to us. And so we learn here that faith in works as a means of getting right with God, operate according to two completely different principles. Completely different principles. You either get right with God by believing, or you get right with God by doing. But it can't, it's not both. It's not a combination. It's like being on a dock, and you got one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat, and the boat starts moving away from the dock. Okay, you, you got to make a choice. Faith and works as a means to get right with God are completely different operating principles. It's not both. Calvin says it this way, John Calvin. The law justifies him who fulfills all its commands, which is impossible. Whereas faith justifies those who are destitute of the merit of works and rely on Christ alone. To be justified by our own merit and by the grace of another are irreconcilable. Have you ever tried to give someone a gift or do something nice for someone and they respond by saying, thank you so much, let me pay you for that? Or let that was, I was so, so generous and kind. Let me compensate you for that. And you say, no, 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 don't, don't pay me. It was a gift. And they say, no, 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 really. Let, let me pay you for it. Let me, let me compensate you. Let me do something, right? And you say, no, listen to me. It was such a joy for me to do that for you. It was such a joy for me to do that. Uh, please don't pay me. And if they come back and say, no, 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 I, I demand, I, I am going to pay you. At some point, that gets incredibly offensive, doesn't it? It's the same way with God. To, to receive the gift of Jesus Christ and then say to God, hey, yeah, thanks for the gift, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work this off a little bit. Let me be really good. Let me, let me try to keep the law to, to pay for this. I mean, it was such an extravagant gift, right? And God says, that's repulsive to me. That's offensive. My son, Jesus Christ, is a gift. You can't earn him. He's a gift to you from me. You receive the blessing of justification, of being, being made right with God, receiving the indwelling Holy Spirit that assures you you're right with God. You receive that as a gift, period, by faith, not by works. 
We've looked at the blessing, how you receive it. Last question, why is this blessing justification? The indwelling Holy Spirit, why is this blessing secure? This is getting at the deeper question of assurance. How can I be assured that I'm really right with God? Why is the blessing secure? First, it's rooted in Christ. Christ alone. Look at verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. The promise of God finds its fulfillment in Christ alone. And the promise belongs to Christ alone. And to all who attach themselves to Christ by faith. But understand that God's promise finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ alone, and it belongs to him alone. And we benefit and receive the blessing by simply attaching ourselves to Christ by faith, who is the fulfillment of God's promise. But second, it's secure because it's rooted in the promise of God, not the law of God. It's rooted in promise. Look, look at verse 15. Paul says, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. The word covenant here can also be translated will, like last will and testament. A will is not a contract that obligates a bunch of various parties to. A will is just simply a contract, but it's a, it's a declaration of what one party intends to do. So you make a will that when you die, there's a declaration of what happens with your inheritance. It's one way. What Paul's saying is the covenant that God made with Abraham was number one, it was ratified in blood. Number two, it's a one-way covenant, like a will works. So in Genesis 15, when God makes the covenant with Abraham, he sacrifices an animal, he cuts the animal in half, which was typical on that day for how a covenant was struck between two parties. Typically, both parties would, work, would, would walk between the animal pieces. But when God made his covenant with Abraham, the animal was sacrificed, it was cut in half, but God walked through the pieces alone. Abraham did not walk between, which meant that God's covenant did not depend on Abraham's performance. God's covenant did not depend on Abraham's performance, and it didn't stipulate legal requirements that Abraham had to abide by. Paul's argument here is the law that was given to Moses on Sinai didn't come but 430 years later. The law serves the promise. It's subservient to the promise that God's covenant with Abraham, was a, it was a one-way covenant that ultimately was fulfilled in a descendant of Abraham, the God-man Messiah, Jesus Christ. Abraham's salvation was not based on anything Abraham did. 
Now, of course, Abraham followed with obedience, but his salvation, his, his being counted righteous, his being made right with God was the result of him simply believing, trusting the promise that God spoke to him. It was purely on trust and belief. See, the promise is about what God will do while the law is about what we must do. The promise had to be believed. The law had to be obeyed. God deals with us according to his promise, not according to our works. God deals with us according to his promise. That's why ultimately the blessing is secure. It's secure. That means that if you're in Christ, your standing before God does not fluctuate with the inconsistency of your daily obedience. You hear that? That your standing with God does not fluctuate with the inconsistency of your daily obedience because God deals with you according to his promise that's fulfilled in Christ, not according to your works. This is the argument that Paul's making. And so if that's how God deals with us, then it makes sense that we would live according to promise. That we would live according to the promise of God. Drastically different. A life justified by God's promise looks very different from a life attempted to be justified by works, right? With the law comes a, a sense of control, right? With the law comes a sense of, I do this so God will give me this. I do this to get right with God. I'll do this to be accepted by God. And yet with promise, it's all about waiting and trusting. You can't earn a promise. The only way you receive a promise is by trusting in it. Simply by trusting in it. That's why, verse 18, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by the promise. See what Paul's saying there? You can't have it both ways. But God gave it to Abraham and to his descendants and to all those who put faith in Christ by a promise. The way that you receive justification, the way you become justified is through God's promise and you simply trust it. You believe it. And of course, because this begs the question, is, is the law bad? Of course not. The law is good. But the law, when used as, an, as a means to be justified with God, yes, it's bad. Right? Yes. And of course, when Abraham believed God's promise, it produced obedience. Right? Hebrews 11.8, by faith, by trust, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, he went out not knowing where he was going. You see that. Abraham didn't go out to this land that God told him about in an attempt to get right with God. He didn't obey an attempt for God to, to justify him. No, he believed God's promise, couldn't see it, didn't know what it would look like, he, but he, he just simply trusted God's word and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was justified. So Abraham was accepted by God, approved by God, affirmed by God, justified, and then out of that came, yes, I'll go. We're accepted. 
That's what produces obedience. We don't obey in an attempt to get accepted. Living according to promise is about waiting and trusting. Living according to law is about control and manipulation. Living according to promise produces security and assurance. Living according to law produces insecurity and doubt. Not long before his death, Henry Nouwen, he wrote a book called Sabbatical Journeys. And in it, he talks about some of his friends who were trapeze artists. And as he interacted with these friends who were trapeze artists, they said said to him that there's this very unique relationship uh, which exists between the flyer and the catcher. The flyer is the one who at some point has to let go. The catcher is the one that catches the flyer, after he lets go. At some point, the flyer has to let go and arcs into the air and has to remain absolutely still until the strong hands of the catcher grab it. His friends said this. This is profound. Listen. The flyer must never try to catch the catcher. The flyer must never try to catch the catcher. The flyer must wait in absolute trust that the catcher will catch him. The one blessing that you must have, you are not to try to go get, to catch, to earn, You receive that blessing by trusting what Jesus Christ has done for you. And that when you trust what Jesus Christ has done for you and quit trying to go grab it and earn it and catch it and maintain the law, and that when you trust Christ, then the strong hands of the Father catch you. And the reason they catch you is because God made a promise to Abraham that that spans the generations and the centuries all the way to today. And that promise is that all who attach themselves to Jesus Christ by faith, I will declare righteous. I will declare that they are right with me and I will give them the gift of the Spirit that daily as they're facing doubt and they're facing lack of assurance, my spirit will remind them that they have been caught. No one can snatch them out of my hand. The blessing is secure because it's rooted in the promise of God. And God never breaks his promise. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are desperate for affirmation. We are desperate for blessing. And every one of us could look at our lives and see the the evidence of trying to seek affirmation apart from you, our creator. 
multiple relationships, multiple attempts to seek mom or dad's blessing, multiple attempts to get on the good side of the boss at work or whatever it may be. We just, we, we run after affirmation. And yet, Father, you announce a blessing that fills the vacuum in our heart, that announces in and through Jesus Christ, that we are right with you, that you're pleased with us, that you love us, that you cherish us as your children. Oh, Father, would you, by your Spirit, cause us to abandon these other attempts to seek blessing and affirmation, and would we rest alone and rest firm and rest secure and the blessing that you give us, the announcement, the proclamation that we're right with you by simply trusting in you, Jesus. And with the assurance of, of that blessing being tied to your promise, God, not to our works, give us incredible assurance and cause us to live lives that are honoring to you as a result, that are about loving others and getting our eyes off ourselves. We pray this all in Christ's name, amen.